Good morning. I greet you in Christ's name. It's good to be here to worship together this morning. The title of the message that I've chosen to share on is called Men of Courage. And it has it's directed primarily at you men in our audience this morning, but it's also for the ladies, also to help us all to see just a bit of how God looks at men of courage. And I'm speaking to myself because I've lacked courage at times. And I certainly need God's courage and grace to, uh, to be what God wants. In 1979, there was a plane crash up on the high mountains in Colorado, San Gabriel Mountains. Might have been California, I'm not sure. Anywhere, wherever the San Gabriels are. And it's a story of a young lad who had uh, great courage. There were four people in that plane, as a little 172, crashed into the mountain, and the pilot was, was killed in the crash, uh, along with the attorney, who was a man there, was there. And who was left alive was a young lady and, and a boy of, of 12 years old, 11 years old. The boy said he knew his dad was dead when he wouldn't respond. He tried to get him to respond in the little airplane. So they crawled out and they spent most of the day up there on top of the mountain, wait, wait, mountain waiting to be rescued. But nobody came. So the young lady and the boy decided to try to make their way down off the mountain. And they started on their way down. The, the young lady fell to her death shortly after they began. The boy was lost and all alone and freezing cold. His hands were broken. But he, he worked his way down the mountain, sliding on his backside down through the snow with a stick to keep breaking uh, his speed as he went down the mountain. They found him down at the bottom, close to a little village, uh, very much alive and... and uh, but exhausted and bloody and, and uh, very cold. And before he was released from the hospital, at his release there was a news conference, and the uh, news people were asking this little boy, "What in, how in the world was he able to do that? Uh, didn't he feel like quitting? He said, I am alive today because my dad taught me to never give up. I want to talk today about men of courage and invite you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30 for a text. Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. Very familiar verse of Scripture. Most of you have heard it. And uh, evangelists in revival meetings will use it. I want to use it in the context this morning of men of courage. Ezekiel 22, verse 30 says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. I actually like the rendering of the King James a little better because of the messages I've heard from preachers about standing in the gap and making up the hedge. But it's, it's actually, it's a... Indictment of men 
not being willing to step up, not being willing to be men of courage to fill the role that God intended. God is looking for a few good men, as the slogan goes. Men who will step up, men who will man up, as they say today. It takes a lot of courage to be a godly father and husband. Most any man can become a husband and a father, but there are so few courageous men out there. It takes a lot of courage to be the man that God wants us to be, and there's a real cost associated with it. If it wasn't hard, if it wasn't costly, there would be millions of courageous men. So many aren't willing. They're not willing to do that, to stand up, to stand in the gap, and to make up the hedge. This message is especially for men, but it's also for you ladies to raise awareness and to show support for those men. I want to read a couple of background scriptures before I get into the heart of the message. You may turn there if you wish. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 2 and 3, a very familiar passage again. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 3. It says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. This is the scripture that we get the order, the headship order from. It's a very important scripture. It's not a value statement at all, but it is a statement speaking of how God speaks into our homes and our marriages. He speaks through the men in that home if they will speak up. It's the way that God is, uh, is, speaks into His creation. He wants to use us as to men to show those who we are responsible for who God is and to speak into our relationships the workings of God. And we could turn to Ephesians 5, verse 22. Again, another familiar passage about uh, husband-wife relationships. Ephesians 5, verse 22 says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It's very helpful for wives to submit to husbands so that those husbands can fill those roles that God wants us to in, in, in being that unselfish provider, that men of, being those men of courage. And man has his work cut out for him in fulfilling that role, in loving, sacrificially, in giving, in cleansing, in presenting. Then I'd invite you to turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 17 to 19. It sets up our message. Romans 5, verses 17 to 19 speaks of the trespass that happened back in the Garden of Eden. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness 
reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. This scripture teaches us that Adam brought on the reign of death because of his sin. Because of the sin of Adam, there was a reign of death that has reached down to our our church house this morning. His trespass, his disobedience, his silence. Jesus, as the second Adam, through his disobedience, brought on a reign of righteousness. And we have the opportunity to be made righteous through the righteousness of Christ. What was the sin of Adam? Why, what did Adam do that was wrong? Was it eating the forbidden fruit? Certainly, that was sin because God had commanded it not to be eaten. I'm going to suggest today that Adam sinned before he took that first bite. But the sin of Adam happened before he took the bite of that apple or whatever kind of fruit it was. I'm going to suggest that Adam's sin is the prevailing sin of so many of us who are born males today. It is the sin of silence. It is the sin of not stepping up and speaking into the chaos that is family life and church life today. It is the sin of standing passively by when we should be confronting a situation head on. It is a sin of being unwilling to say no or yes. It is a sin of abdication. It is a sin of refusing to speak for God. The sin of Adam is the sin of silence. Adam should have remained, Adam should, did remain quiet when he should have spoken into the situation. I remember as a little Amish boy growing up in the Amish church and we had some long church services. And I remember one in particular we called Groskme and some of you know what Groskme is. It literally means big church. It was a long service. It was a communion service. And we would... We would sit and we would sit and we would sit until we were tired of sitting as a little little kid. I just remember the long, long time that it took for them to get done. And today we look at a computer screen, it doesn't happen any much more, more, but we look at a progress bar. And so it helps kind of to know where you are if you want to be able to endure a long period of time. If you can have some progress. And I remember as a little child, as an uncle that I had that was a little irreverent put it, he said, they began the message with chasing Adam and Eve around the garden. That's how the preacher did. They would start with Adam and Eve and then they would move down through the Scriptures, preaching and preaching and preaching. And then I remember, it was a progress place that I noticed when they got to the woman at the well. I knew that we were mostly done. We were pretty close. The woman at the well was a marker for me. But I want to talk to us this morning just a little bit about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, we know the story very well, but they they were tempted in the garden by a snake. 
or a serpent, whatever it was looking like. And the, the, the serpent came up to Adam and Eve and said, basically, um, wouldn't you like to eat this, this fruit? This looks pretty good. And God doesn't want you to eat it. And, and it's because God, God is a spoil sport and He doesn't want you to enjoy it. So they were there. Envision with me just a little bit the scene in the garden. They were there. There was a snake and there were Adam and Eve. And this is very important. The Scripture says that Adam was there with her. Many of our traditional ways of teaching this is that Adam somehow was not there. But he was there. Scripture says clearly who was with her. Adam was there. He saw the whole thing come down. He saw the, the serpent talking to it to his wife Eve, and he saw Eve replying. And from all we know, he didn't say anything at all. Did Eve commit sin that day by eating the fruit? Yep, she did. She was deceived, the Bible says, by the serpent and succumbed to the temptation. She was guilty, but she was deceived. I believe that Adam actually sinned first. Adam's sin was the sin of standing by when he knew what the score was. The Bible says he was not deceived. He knew, and yet he remained silent. Eve should have remained silent, but Adam should have spoken up. He should have grabbed a branch from that tree and, and took care of that serpent. He should have spoke into that situation, but he didn't. He should have told the serpent where to get off. He had received the command from God and he didn't do it. And men all over the ages, down through the ages, have been silent when they should have spoken up. Men down through the ages have been silent. Men in this audience, including myself, have been silent when we should have said something. The guilty of the sin of Adam. I want to encourage... Today, all of you men, because I need that encouragement as well. I'm, I'm just like you are. I need that encouragement that when a situation comes up that I need to speak up, that I'm going to say it. I'm going to say something. I'm not going to stand by. God help us. It's not easy. It's downright tough at times to take a stand. But as men of courage, we've got to do it. We have got to take a stand. We've got to with God's grace. And that's where the key comes in to, to daily keep going to Him on our knees and getting the grace that we need to be men of courage. What God is asking is too big for us on our own. Adam failed in it, and we will too, in our own strength. I believe that God wants us to realize how weak we are, and then to come to Him for grace in order to speak out. Go to Him for strength. Jesus invites us to yoke up with Him. And I like that picture so much. In, in Matthew 11, it talks about the yoke. His yoke is easy. It's well fitted for us. He is willing to yoke up with us. And there's amazing strength and courage that comes from yoking up with God and putting on that yoke and moving forward with God's strength. 
There is enormous inner strength and security and grace and peace in that type of situation. You know, we men, we struggle a lot. There are men who are struggling all over this American culture, society. And we react in so many ways because we do struggle. Some men have a pattern of controlling. They want to control their, their situation very much. They have got to be in control. If someone threatens their control, they get very angry. They get very upset. They want to manipulate their family and friends. They don't trust anybody. And they have to stack the deck so they don't lose control. There are other men who have a pattern of destructive behavior. They make terrible decisions that destroy their families and their churches and, and what have you. We men tend to selfishness, our own well-being. We feel powerless at times. I don't know how about you, but I do. And what do we do when we feel powerless? What do we do when we feel like the situation is beyond our control? Do we retreat into a small role? I'm tempted to at times. Very much tempted to, to back off, just to retreat into a very small role. We question our manhood. We limit our involvement to situations that we can handle because we don't want to lose control. We hide our impotence by avoiding things that show up our weakness. That is a tendency. We experience anger. And there are so many angry men. Things keep stacking up and we get angry because we're, we don't feel like we're in control. And in that anger, we justify things that should never happen. We, would do th we do things that we would never normally do because we're angry. We take revenge. We're terrified as men sometimes. What if I can't handle this situation? What if I'm exposed as a fraud? What if I make a big mess out of life? What if I lose my job and can't provide? Quiet terror. We hide it very well, many of us, under wraps of success, sociability, and routine. But many live a life of fear. And the relief that they take is, is terrible. The relief that they go looking for is, is something that is, doesn't help at all, but is where we go to get relief. What should we do when we feel powerless? How should we handle powerlessness as men? Number one, I think we need to receive strength from God. And I've already mentioned that. That's where we have to go, is strength from God. See our own personal limitations and continue to move ahead even with those limitations. Accessing God's power. Retreat is not, a God's, is not God's plan for us. Do not resort to the silence of Adam. God forbid that you resort to the silence of Adam. When we're angry, we need to receive forgiveness from God and the ability to pass along to others. We dare not let bitterness and anger rule our lives. We need to allow the peace of God to come into our hearts. Allow the pain to make us gentle. 
Allow the loneliness and sadness to draw us to God. Allow God to take action on our behalf. What about when we're afraid, when we're fearful? We need to keep moving under God's grace. So many men are missing in battle. They're casualties. They're powerless. They're bitter and they're terrified. They are all of Adam once again. They show up for work. They come home to eat dinner with their families. They come to church Sunday morning, but they're missing in action. They have given up on the struggle. Why all this silence? There's an analogy that I think makes a lot of sense. Remember in the creation, when God first came to create, He spoke into the chaos that was the world. There was darkness, there was soupy, uh, nothing but a soupy mass out there. And God spoke into this chaos and there was light and order that was brought. When At God's word, light and order was brought into creation. Satan also brings chaos. As men, descendants of Adam, we are to represent God and speak for Him. But in silence, we fall down on our God-given task. We're not alone. Down through the Scripture, we read of Abraham being silent when he should have spoken up situation with Hagar and Sarai. We know that Lot was silent in the case of Sodom. Isaac was silent with his sons. He was withdrawn. Judah, his sons and daughter-in-law. Eli and his sons. The prophet Samuel and his family. And sometimes I'm guilty of it as well. I'll I'll be forthright today and say that I don't know how to answer sometimes. I don't know. I'm confused. I'm afraid of being wrong. Sometimes I hope the situation will resolve itself. Sometimes I feel a little bit like an imposter. If I was a real dad, a real husband, a real father, I would know what to do. Sometimes... I'm afraid of a reaction when I step in and say something. I'm afraid of a reaction. I'm afraid of being criticized. I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of being made fun of, of being abused. I'm afraid that there's going to be a loss of peace in our church or our family. And I don't want to deal with it. It can get really messy. And I want to break here just a little bit and talk to you ladies for a minute, if I may. You can make it so much easier for the men in your life to speak into your home to speak into your marriage, to speak into the church. You can make it so much easier or you can make it very, very difficult for the men in your life to speak. 
Have you wondered why your husband just shuts up? I'll tell you why. It's because he's tired of it. He's tired of hearing criticism. He's tired of hearing rebuttal. He's tired and he's afraid and he's not, he's not going to speak up anymore. He's weak. He should be speaking, but he's not. We can make it so much easier for the men in our lives by uh, listening, by allowing them to speak. They're going to mess up. They're going to say dumb things. I do it all the time. Say really stupid things. But please listen because it makes it so much easier for men to fill their roles. When I remain silent as a man, I acquiesce to the power of chaos over God. I deny the power and goodness of God. I am called upon to represent God to my family, to my wife, to my children, to others. As a man, as a father, as a husband, as a leader, I have special role in play, to play in speaking into the chaos and bringing God into lives. I'd like to switch gears just a little bit and talk about remembering. One of the things that we as men are called upon to do is to bring perspective into a situation. Let me read you a real-life story. It comes from Larry Crabb's book, Men of Courage. God's call to move beyond the silence of Adam. Listen to me. He walked, before he walked into the windowless building, he looked both ways. As if he were about to cross a dangerous intersection. His heart raced with both fear and excitement. He feared that he might be caught. Or that he might not. He felt the excitement of being at risk. Even though this section of town was one his parishioners rarely visited, he wondered if someone knew he knew just might happen by on this day. But seeing no familiar face, he walked cautiously through the door marked adults only. During the next hour, he eagerly thumbed through magazines and stared at videos, looking up occasionally to reassure himself of his anonymity. In that time, he forgot all that was important to him the rich evening of prayer he had enjoyed with good friends the night before, his wife pregnant with her second child, his bright-eyed two-year-old daughter, the growing church that he pastored, the God whom he had known since his conversion in high school. He had put all these out of his mind because their presence would have spoiled his momentary indulgence. After a while, he left as cautiously as he had entered, deeply unsatisfied. And during the long drive home, the initial fear and excitement of his adventure gave way to a familiar feeling of defeat. Across town, another man was driving toward the same store. It was a frequently traveled road for him as well. But this time, during his agonizing journey, he noticed an old stone cathedral situated along the route. Suddenly he made a choice. He drove into the church parking lot. 
He stopped, got out, and walked toward the huge oak doors. Like the other man, he was fearful and excited, but he didn't need to look both ways before he entered. This man's fear was that his sudden choice, a better and a different choice, would be short-lived. But maybe there was something noble within him, something prompting this, this choice that was pressing for release. He proceeded through the doors. Once inside, he walked quietly to the altar. There he lit a candle, knelt before it, and prayed. He was humbled and broken by the foolish choices he had made in times past. And he was grateful that today something was different. He thought of his wife, his children, his colleagues in ministry, and he remembered God and worshipped him there. After a time, he left the church, got in his car, and drove home. He was exhausted from the struggle, but he was hopeful for the first time in many years. What is the key to us as men being able to be men of courage? And that is to remember. Why do men fail? Why are terrible choices made? Maybe it's because they are failing to remember. They're failing to remember God. They're actively forgetting God. They put God aside and lock Him away and seek pleasure in some idol. Men are created to remember. Genesis 1.27, which may have been read this morning, I'm not sure. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created Him, He, Him. Male and female, He created them. The word translated male here, actually from the Hebrew, is the word zakar, which means the remembering one. So the literal translation of the word male is the remembering one. It seems that God has especially created men to remember. I don't know if you've noticed, but I, I've noticed many times reading the scriptures. Uh, one of the scriptures coming to my mind is one in Acts where Paul was preaching to the folks in Antioch, how that again and again the preacher would go back and start telling a story. And he would go back and review the history of Israel or the history of God's people as an, as an introduction to his message. I wonder why they did that. Isn't that boring? To always go back and look at the story and go back and, and rehash all this stuff. We already know that stuff. But they did it time and again. God's story was told and retold. God's mercy, God's goodness. As men, we are to be the remembering ones. We are, the, we are to remember God working. We are to remember God and His dealings with the past. If we read through Scripture, and I'm, I'm running probably a little short on time, let me read one here in Deuteronomy. It says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen, or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when He said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. One of the functions, one of the main purposes of men is to remember and to bring that perspective into our 
social units, into our families, is to remember the past and to build stability from the fact that God worked in the past and to build that stability and to bring that remembrance into our families and into our churches where we remember how God worked in the past. I've seen Brother Leon do that. Go back and remember how God worked in the past and bring that perspective into our present situation. We are to be, as men, the remembering ones. Remembering how God worked, remembering our dealings in the past. And where we go wrong is when we refuse to remember. When we refuse to remember how God worked in the past, then we're setting ourselves up. Men, unfortunately, are known often for their silence. They don't speak. Children often hear little of the struggles and triumphs of our past. We don't speak into their lives. When we refuse to remember God's working, we can insulate ourselves from His influence on us. Like the men who went to that adult bookstore, they put God out of their memory, willfully putting God aside. Sinful choices require that God be forgotten. It is a willful refusal to remember. Romans 1 verse 28 says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Adam did not speak out. I think he wimped out. I know it sounds being judgmental, but I think he should have spoken out. And the encouragement that I would have to myself and to each one of us here is say it. Stand up. To shun the silence of Adam and to show God, to speak God into situations, to speak God into our families, into our churches, into our other situations, to be a, a, a rememberer of God and a speaker for God into these situations. People are hurting because men are wimping out. How can we do this? How can we be men of courage? Uh, That's a huge question. I mentioned earlier the, the, the importance of, a, of, of linking up with God. That is extremely important. I have a couple of three points I'd like to wrap up the message this morning with. How can we be men of courage? One, a clear relationship with God. In order for us to be men of courage, we need to have a clear conscience, a clear relationship with God. Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. A clear conscience gives much confidence. Satan tries to tell us we're a fraud. He tries to get us to shut up and not to speak out. If our conscience is clear and our hands are clean, we can become more effective. Secondly, we do well to have a father in the faith whom we can follow. We need a good relationship with God and we need a father in the faith whom we can follow. It may not be our earthly father. It's nice if it is. 
It may not be our earthly father, but a father in the faith whom we can follow. Someone to walk ahead of us. Uh, Hebrews 13 verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You know, a godly father can, can speak so much to us. And I think one of the reasons our society and culture is going down is because the fathers are missing. If you look at the, the black culture, particularly, in the inner city where the dads just aren't there. There's nobody to follow. There's no good example to follow. There's nobody speaking into their lives. And they're just going the way of, of, of a terrible downfall. A godly father says to us, it can be done. When we look at a godly father, someone in the faith, he, he, he's an example that life can work. It can be done. He has walked a good path in our sight. He knows, we know that it can be done. We know that he is not perfect. We know that he fails. But he is, he is saying to us, it can be done. We see the effect of, of God in his life. He's saying to us, you're not alone. I'm there for you. He's willing to pray for us, to show concern. And he's willing to say, I believe in you, a godly father. We sense his confidence in us, and we're going to make him proud. Thirdly, we need a brother whom we can share deeply with. This is a struggle for us to find someone that we can be open with. We need that. We need a brother whom we can share deeply with. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We need that as, as men to have a brother to whom we can share deeply and be willing to open up and confess sin. I was really blessed this past week. We had a, four of us met together for breakfast and a little accountability group. That was a blessing to me. It was very encouraging to me. And there was confession in that group. I sinned. And there was prayer. And that's good. That's good. A, the, the, um, the strengthening of that, that that is, the, the secrets is what can kill men. The secrets, having to carry those secrets. And there's, there's so much victory in sharing. Secret isolate us from, from others. They take away our confidence. I'm going to wrap this up this morning. I want to leave it not as a as a negative judgment on men. I want to leave it as an encouragement to each one of you here in this building this morning and to myself is to be willing to speak out into our life situations because that's what God wants you to do. God wants you to speak. To speak into your relationships. To remember how God has worked and how He can work in the future. Don't be missing in action. Be courageous. Live with a clean conscience. Do whatever it takes. Have that clean conscience to follow a godly father in the faith. To share with the brothers. Let's be men of courage. 
That's what God intends for us. God bless you.